The sermon reading this morning comes from Ruth, chapter 2, verses 1 to 23. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing (coughs) whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabites said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of the harvesters, Whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, She is the Moabites who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in any other field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. (coughs) I have told the men not to touch you and whenever you get thirsty, go and get a drink from water that the men have filled. (coughs) Pardon me. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said, You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. At at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until the evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added that this man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabites said, 
He even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls because someone else's, in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean, to glean until the barley and the wheat harvest were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law. Thanks, Brenda. Uh, it's great to be here. Uh, my name is Pete Stacey. I'm the evening pastor here and uh, I want to add my welcome to everyone uh, here this morning, including those of you joining us on the live stream. It's uh, great to sit behind the camera there and, and watch those numbers ticking up, all these people around the place uh, joining us uh, this morning as well. What a privilege it is to sit together under God's word. I hope uh, you've been enjoying this story. It's a fabulous story, isn't it? Uh, and it's a true story about very ordinary people. But what I like is that through this little book, God shows us so much of himself, who he is, how he relates to normal people in a broken world, uh, to wealthy and, and poor people, the respected and the rejected, to those who feel like their best days are behind them and are struggling with depression, to outcasts like Ruth. Remember a couple of months ago, we were journeying through the book of 1 Peter, uh, and he says this at one point, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. This is exactly what we see in the story of Ruth. And this is what we see in our story too. Uh, so let's pray as we launch into this chapter. Dear God, thank you that you promised to speak to us through your word. Please open our hearts and minds to listen, understand and obey and help us to discover you in a new and deeper way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week was pretty bleak, wasn't it? Naomi left Bethlehem because there was a famine in the land and then while in Moab, her husband and then her two married sons die. And when she decided to return to Israel, uh, she encourages her daughters-in-law to turn back. One does. Uh, but Ruth is astonishingly loyal and gives that beautiful reply that we saw last week. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And, and get this bit, I love this bit. Your God will be my God. That's the day Ruth became a follower of the one true God, part of his family. Today, of course, we'd say, oh, she's a new Christian. She's a, a convert. You know, she turned to follow Jesus. Uh, and Jesus said there's a party in heaven whenever that happens. But there was no party going on for Naomi. She had lost so much. Her husband was dead. Her sons were dead. And that meant that her property and the family name would die out with her. No wonder the whole town was stirred when she and Ruth uh, arrived. Imagine all the difficult conversations she would have had in the weeks that followed. And so Naomi, uh, which means pleasant, wanted to change her name to Mara, which means bitter. And that's where we ended last week. I find it really fascinating because as the book continued, she is never called Mara. 
In fact, the very next verse after she says that, as chapter 1 ends, the narrator, inspired by the Holy Spirit, keeps calling her Naomi, the pleasant one. And it reminds us that Ruth is, and reminds her that Ruth is with her, and that they're back in the promised land, and it's the start of the harvest. Her life somehow is going to be pleasant. There is hope. And it's a good reminder for all of us that no matter what our circumstances are in life, bring God into the picture and there is hope. If you're a maths teacher, you'd put it like this. Life plus God equals hope. And so as chapter 2 begins, hope has a name, Boaz. The narrator lets us know about him long before Naomi and Ruth realize who he is. It's not until verse 20, nearly the end of the chapter, that Naomi recognizes him as a guardian redeemer. Let me explain uh, this, this concept. In those days, land was your family's most valuable asset for survival. And ownership was in the name of the husband or clan leader. And then it was divided among the sons who would then marry and have their own families and, and, and so on. That's why Naomi's situation is so precarious. No husband and no sons means the property in the family name will end with her. But friends, we worship a God who loves and cares for the poor and the brokenhearted and the needy and the vulnerable and the de destitute and uh, people like widows and orphans. And in his law, he had provided for such people. And so God's law speaks into Naomi's situation. Uh, let me give you a couple of examples. In Leviticus 25, uh, we read this. If one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property, or in Naomi's situation, in danger of having to sell, uh, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. Uh, over in Deuteronomy chapter 25, we read this. If brothers are living together, uh, for example, on the family farm, and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother uh, shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. So the guardian redeemer was a close, uh, influential relative that the extended family could look to and turn to for help so that the family name and the family property could endure. Now with Naomi, it wasn't quite so straightforward uh, because she's probably too old to have children. And besides, the family name would have normally passed uh, on to her sons because she did have sons, um, but they died without having children. So the guardian redeemer would have to marry Ruth, the wife of the deceased son. And to make things even more complicated, Ruth is not a local girl. In fact, she's from Moab, a country that God had told his people to wipe out because of their wickedness a few centuries earlier. So I guess it was a horse race and uh, the Boaz-Ruth connection, uh, it's, not it's, it's not exactly your odds-on favourite. That said, as we look at verse 1 again, 
Boaz is a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech. That means that he's a potential guardian redeemer. And then the narrator adds right in the middle of the verse, a man of standing. In other words, he's wealthy and respected. He's like nobility. That means he's a desirable guardian redeemer for Naomi and Ruth and the property of Elimelech. So we've got this glimmer of possibility in our minds as we read on through the chapter. Now, Ruth is resourceful. And she takes the initiative to get some food for herself and her aging mother-in-law by gleaning. It's the leftovers. Harvesting wheat looks like this. A big machine cuts the stalk, snips the head off, removes the shaft, sends the grain up the chute into the truck, uh, delivers it to the silo, leaving a neat pile of hay which is then rolled up and left like giant marshmallows all over the paddock. You go out to Jambra, you'll see lots of them. That's how we do it. But in those days, dozens of harvesters kind of line up across the field and move across the field on foot with big scythes, cutting the wheat and then tying it into sheaves, which would then be bundled up and and taken to the threshing floor. Now, that method wasn't quite so thorough as what we do today. So gleaning, if you look at verse 2, gleaning is picking up any leftover grain after the harvesters. It was how the poorest people survived. And once again, God actually protected and provided for them in his law. So we read in Leviticus 19, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of the field. That, that's, that's where the poor and the foreigner, you know, they're going to wander in on the edges. Don't go to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. So Ruth went out, verse 3. She entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Uh, What are the chances of that? (laughs) Of all the fields she could have walked into, she chooses Boaz's field. And I think that phrase, as it turned out, is kind of a subtle way of pointing us to the sovereign hand of God. He's behind all the events in this story. And I think our lives are like this. Have you had that experience? You know, coincidences that when you look back, have all the marks of God's gracious hand at work in your life? Some people call them God incidences. I've heard testimonies where people have shared things like that. Now, as the narrative uh, continues, we really get to know Boaz He's a man of great faith and godly character. He'd persevered in Bethlehem when others like Elimelech had left during the famine. He'd stuck it out and trusted God. And now in God's providence, he's enjoying times of plenty again. And he's passionate about God. How many foremen do you know who arrive at the job site and yell out to the blokes on the scaffold or or under the hydraulic lift or down the mine shaft, hey, fellas, the Lord be with you. It's fantastic, isn't it? And have you noticed 
how any organisation is significantly shaped by its leadership. See how they reflect his leadership and call back, the Lord be with you. I reckon over year after year, they just got used to it. Maybe their hearts weren't in it, but that's what Boaz did and that's what they did. And there's an, an appropriate mix here of respect and at the same time brotherly love. They're not equals in roles and responsibilities, but they're equals in God's sight and they get that balance right. Boaz is the one who calls the shots and they obey, but there's wonderful warmth and a mutual respect at the same time. It gives us an opportunity to think carefully about all the relationships we're in, perhaps as a spouse or as a parent, as a son or daughter, as a worker, a teacher, a team leader, uh, part of a team, uh, an employee, a student, whatever it is. Are you showing proper respect to those to whom God wants you to show respect? Are you showing uh, appropriate leadership? where God wants you to step up and lead? Do we obey Ephesians 6 verse 7 that says that we should serve wholeheartedly as though you are serving the Lord, not people? Do you willingly submit when God calls you to submit? And you lead with grace and kindness where God calls you to lead. If you're like me, you regularly need to repent of getting these things wrong. And just to call on God daily for the strength from his Holy Spirit to make progress in these things. Boaz was characterized by perseverance and a real passion for God. But he was also a man of principle and purity. See, we see this in his treatment of Ruth. Note carefully his actions and attitudes here. Verse 5, he finds out who, who she is. Verse 8, he approaches her himself and speaks words of hope and reassurance. Verse 9, he takes action to protect her purity by giving orders to his men. Again in verse 9, he takes action to provide for her needs. <laughs> Even saying, yeah, pull out some extra stalks. I love it. In verse 14 to 16, he shows grace and generosity towards her, providing her a lunch like she probably hasn't had for a long, long time, giving her way more than she needs. See, Boaz knew that the Lord God Almighty, his God, had commanded people like him to use their power and privilege and position to care for widows and foreigners and the poor. Ruth was all three. And Boaz also knew that God had lavished uh, love on him personally. And so he goes above and beyond with his obedience to God's law. In just one day of gleaning in Boaz's field, Ruth had enough food for several weeks. When it comes to kindness and generosity... We often, so often have a different standard for ourselves compared to others. Or we lap up generosity, oh, but we're reluctant to really give it. We want grace and kindness when we get it wrong, but uh, we struggle to show it to others. 
We love it when others go out of their way to include us and welcome us. But we find it hard to be like that ourselves. And I think the main reason is, is because it costs. It costs us time. It costs us energy, thoughtfulness, comfort, money. It means we have to say no to something else to say yes to this. And it means, uh, in some cases, long-term, even permanent cost. Are we willing to take that risk, to count that cost, to step out in faith? In verse 11 to 12, uh, Boaz speaks to Ruth. I love this bit. He says this, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now we know how the story ends. So it's really easy for us to read romance back into this chapter. But I don't think Boaz has any idea that God will actually use him to answer his very own words at this point. What is Ruth's response to all of this kindness? Given her painful past, she could easily have been a complainer. She could easily have quoted God's laws that she'd just come to discover and stated all her rights. I'm a foreigner, I'm a widow, I'm poor. But instead, Ruth is overwhelmed by kindness and full of gratitude and humility. Such godly character we see in, in Ruth as well as Boaz. Now, I'm jumping ahead here, and it's not in the passage, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, especially to young people, uh, when you are looking for a life partner, the number one item on your wish list should be that they have godly character because they love Jesus. Nothing matters more than that. I just want to put that out there. Back to the story. Uh, as Boaz cares for Ruth, we get a glimpse of the heart of God that, of the God that he has served for many, many years. As Ruth cares for Naomi and interacts with Boaz, we get a glimpse of the heart of the God she has recently met and now wholeheartedly serves. And even in all of Naomi's hardship and the way she speaks, we get a glimpse of God because she understands and interprets all of life, the good and the bad, through the eyes of faith. And it really helps us understand how God feels towards us and how we might respond to him. God knows everything about us, everything. He took the initiative to, to seek the lost. He speaks words of reassurance and hope. He takes action to redeem us from the eternal consequences of our sin. And at the cost of his own son, he provides what we need for eternal life. This is the God under whose wings we find refuge. The God of Boaz, the God of Ruth, the God of Naomi is our God too. 
He has lavished his love on us and welcomes us into his heavenly kingdom. Let us receive his love. But not only that, let us reflect his love and kindness to those around us, whether it's in God-honoring leadership, compassion, generosity, treating others with great dignity, protecting and providing, whatever. Let us reflect the kindness and love of our God to a watching world. At the end of the day, Ruth goes home and shares the abundant food. I mean, she's pretty strong. It's like about 15 kilos. She carries it all the way back to town. She's done well. I'm struggling just to carry a sack of chook pellets from the car to the back of the yard. <laughs> and imagine Naomi's face, how it lights up when she sees this abundance. I mean, I reckon just the food would have put a smile on her face. And then she hears the story Verse 20, the Lord bless him. And Brenda, when you read it, where are you? When you read it, you brought that out. Thank you. That was great. Uh, The Lord bless him. And then, um, you know, her mind starts racing. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. And she's got what we had right at the start of the chapter. It's an exciting moment for her. And at the invitation of Boaz, it just keeps getting brighter and brighter, this, this chapter. Ruth continued to glean in his fields until, see verse 23, until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. That's about a four-month period because they didn't have combine harvesters. That's all by hand. Ruth and Naomi, they would have been able to store up provisions probably for an entire year. And then the verse finishes, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Sounds like this beautiful picture, doesn't it? Of provision, and um, we're back in the promised land. And But it's actually not a good thing. I was just waiting for the sound effects. Um, it's actually not a good thing. Because while Ruth is very loyal to her mother-in-law, they're vulnerable. They're they're in a really unsafe situation. We know that from the book of Judges because Bethlehem pops up a couple of times and has fair share of troublemakers. Judges 19, for one example, a Levite from Bethlehem snatched a young single woman as a concubine. Not, Not a nice place. Ruth and Naomi are vulnerable and the story is far from over. So you just have to come back next week, see what happens. But for now, we've seen God at work in remarkable ways. And we've seen godly character on display. It's an invitation for us to seek the same God so that we can uh, be sheltered under his wings and have that same kind of character growing in us. Plenty to encourage and challenge us. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Father, no matter what our personal circumstances are, please move powerfully in our hearts, drawing us to love you and serve you wholeheartedly and honour you by joyful, humble, grateful, generous obedience. And Father, thank you that you are at work sovereignly in all of our lives. Amen.